And we're live. <clears throat> Welcome back to the uh, HFL podcast. It's episode number three. I'm here with uh, Dea. So, Dea, how's it going? It's growing pretty well. Amazing, beautiful, magical. <laughs> all the good things happen <clears throat> all at once. Okay, so if you use four adjectives, which are all superlatives, I think you have to elaborate on your situation. What's so magical? Well, um, just being in here, it's interesting because uh, you end up in a room with people that each and every one of them has a different background and a different history and a different country where they're from. And seeing that you are one of the pieces of the mosaic and you bring a culture um, into the table with the way how you talk, with the way how you stand, with the way how you look someone, with the way how you speak. Um, so it's magical just because the universe has taken all these beautiful people and put them in one interestingly weird building. Um, it's pretty cool. Okay, so now you're talking about your, <clears throat> um, your being here at Holt. That's mm-hmm. what you mean in the sense that uh, Holt is painting this, or not painting, but they're constructing this mosaic with pieces from all over the world, and you're representing a piece from your part of the world, bringing its unique experiences, yeah. cultures, perspectives, everything. Pretty much it, but I don't think that Holt is the only reason why I believe that all of this is magical, in the sense of like London itself is very interesting. And one thing that really intimidates at some point but also intrigues all these all these humans at Holt is London. I imagine sometimes what if the students of Holt weren't in London, but were like at an underdeveloped or developing country. Do you think we would have the uh, <clears throat> Do you think we would have these same interesting perspectives? If imagine if uh, we were all gathered, just a grass field mm. in Ukraine in a building would it be the same thing would the people still be as interesting or is it an external force working on everyone and it's in the context of a metropolitan city in the western world absolutely i think that the environment affects people one way or the other like even if we were in a building in the middle of a grass field whatever um it would be different if outside is sunny it would be different if outside is stormy. It would be different if in the news says that a tornado is going to happen and the building is going to shut down. And it's going to be different if they're saying that like positive things are going to happen. So I absolutely believe that. Not just the location, but the whole energy of the place. So the energy of London is not because London and history maybe I think that some people over here kind of underestimate the history and the prestige of the United Kingdoms they might have points to disagree and agree on um but they just like the idea that it's a metropolitan city and the dynamics of the people it's so powerful it affects at every point just like taking the tube and rushing even though that's one that's one that's one thing i noticed coming to um to um to the uk and especially to london from uh i mean to interject with myself i mean i've been to uh new york i've been to all the big cities metropolitans around the world but coming to london and living here permanently coming from a place like norway where people are half-assing and sleeping and (laughs) falling over because they're so bored when they're on their way to work you come here and people are like I don't even know what they're like. They're like a tiger on the sidewalk. They're running up to you. And yeah. if you're not quick enough, they'll jump over your shoulder and they'll be like, <laughs> I have to go further. <laughs> and uh, it's crazy because in Norway, it's like people are just have their eyes aren't even open. They're walking into the subway. Taking their time. So, you know? yeah. yeah, they're taking their time. There's no pressure. But here you have pressure. People yeah. are getting things done. Yeah, but these situations, because I used to kind of 
use daily activities as an analogy of portraying a society or like a country in general and i used to tell so i'm from kosovo for people who don't know which is a country in the balkans and um in my country i used to joke around and sometimes i say maybe this should be applied to every culture if you want to know about humans and the society of a country just go to a bakery and you see what are people's reactions so how requests on the sense of like if you have a person that wants to buy the the cheapest bread it means that uh, they have a low standard then you have people who change their preferences for the bread uh, according to the income that they have there are some people who don't even take or buy any bread just because they're way too healthy or there could be people that don't get in the bakery just because they're too poor. You know, but it's not just about what they purchase at the bakery, but the way and the interaction, how they do it. I think I was taking this, I think I was understanding this as a bit more literal for my own sake. <laughs> so you'll see people, well, you'll see a culture based on what happens in the bakery. And I was immediately making images in my head like, oh yeah, because in France they buy baguettes. And then in the UK, they'll buy oh, yeah. white bread. And then in Norway, they'll buy... I don't even know what they buy. Well, that's a, I mean, in Norway, you just go mm-hmm. into a bakery and you're robbed because you have to pay 15 pounds for a piece of loaf. Well, you know, I think that... was that, a bit literal, but I don't know. No, that's good. Or that, that is global context. Okay. So what I was like looking was only a very National, local... Okay, local context. Okay. Local context. But if you put it on like the general perspective, like cuisines about the world speak so much about the culture. The way that you behave in, in a restaurant tells a lot about your culture. It doesn't mean that you should put down someone for behaving differently or not behaving in the manners or the etiquette that are in a certain country or in a certain cuisine. I mean that like, well, I'm about, pretty liberal in this point. Like I make exceptions, even though like of course every individual has a preference for a particular etiquette. Yeah, but it's about observation. That's the context we're talking in now. Observation. Yeah. Well, as an observant, I think that I'm I'm justified for making that that point. Right? That it's justified to make the point? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean you're here on permanent leave if you wish <laughs> or permanent visitation uh, nonetheless i think it's uh, it's interesting so you're looking at uh, the these small microsystems of uh, a society and you're taking them as sort of a slice to look at the culture uh, of a location and i think a good example actually is um, how you behave and how you act in restaurants because you have these conflicting uh, standards even within the western world if we're just going to mm. dive into that part of the world to yeah. begin with so you'll have a place uh, like norway where i'm from where it's not recommended to leave a tip for example to the waiter mm-hmm. or waitress yeah. because minimum wage is so high that you only give a tip if service is above perfect mm-hmm. okay but then you'll leave a generous tip because uh, apparently everyone's making money over there. I don't know <clears throat> what sort of thing they're tapped into, yeah. but I'd like to get some too. Um, and then you have a place like the UK where they pre-add the service fee. Yeah. Because apparently people aren't tipping, but the waiters or the personnel, they still need it. So they're overtly putting it into the bill, at least in London, because yeah. they have a lot of tourists, obviously. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have a place like the U.S. where it's very... Well, it's not even very. It's mandatory to give a tip. Yeah. And it's not even mandatory because you have to, even though service is bad. Because if service is bad, you can reject it. But Mm -hmm. normally service tends to be better in the U.S. And it's much, much, much better, the service in the U.S. than it is in Norway, for example. Mm -hmm. Because in Norway, they don't give a about you. They don't care about you. The people there, they are getting a paycheck no matter what. And you're not adding any value to their pockets by eating there. So they just want to get you out of the way and not be bothered by you. While in the US, because the minimum wage is lower and Mm. tipping is is sort of compulsory if the service is good, they feel 
obligated to give you a good experience because that's where the majority of their paycheck comes from. Yeah, I think that it's a very nice topic to do a research on. As a person who really might do the masters on um psychological organizations and, and neo marketing whatsoever. Um I feel like understanding the psychology between different cultures makes you be a better businessman um in whatever business that you have. And that's like something that is self-explanatory and self-known and like every person in this world knows it. But having a deeper look on such phenomenons as like the tipping uh, or like the bakery and other elements of like daily life that are used to create and draw analogies about the general perspective of a country, that's good. It's the same thing as uh, economists use with the Big Mac um, mm, yeah, the big mark standard yeah, uh, to measure sort of the consumer spending index. Yes, yeah, so um, that is wise, and that could be as a model to like draw different conclusions about different societies. But we don't, we shouldn't underestimate the fact that it could be also very historical. And sometimes people tend to stick so much on the history that even if the action is not correspondent to the beliefs uh, of the momentum of the country, they seek, still keep up like with what was passed from years ago because they're just used to it. So it's the issue of conformity Absolutely. over here that is brought to the table. Absolutely. And I think that's a very important point as well, is that sometimes people tend to focus too much on what was. Mm-hmm. And knowing what was, yes, it's important to know where you come from or where you used to be, but it's as important to focus on where are you right now and what can you do to make sure that what comes next, yeah. i.e. the future, is better than where you came from and both, both where you came from, but also where are you right now. So what mm-hmm. steps can you take? What things... What actions can you make as an individual or even as a society or as a local municipality, as anything? Yeah. What can you do right now together or alone? Most importantly, alone, because that's what I believe in. What can you do right now to make what comes after better? But that's the situation. Is now the best that we had? Now is, yes. Well, that's now questionable, is, especially for like someone that believes in like philosophy or like people who still live nowadays with the thought that this this is a simulation, for example. You know, <clears throat> that's a that's a theory with that's actually a theory a lot of people believe in, and I'm on the fence to be honest, because for me it doesn't make a difference. Actually, for me personally, it would be better if we were in a simulation than if we were not. Because if you're in a simulation, you can detach from everything that's holding you back. Because it doesn't matter. Which means you're removing all restraints on yourself. And you're just doing the most of everything. That's one way to look at it. However, if you believe that it's just a simulation, it can very easily swing to the other side of the spectrum where you go. Where you... In effect, you become a nihilistic uh, anarchist and you just want to watch the world burn because it doesn't matter. It's all unreal. Not unreal in the positive way, but literally unreal. Not necessarily that it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, like the simulation from one person to the other depends. And I think that we have had different scientists that have brought different theories and then other people who really believe in philosophy taking them and um shape-shifting them from one theory to the other um i think that like i really like science um and there are a few points that make us like question can we travel in time or can we find another dimension and all these questions that if they're possibly solved within the next 10 years like the world would be so different that even today's decision would be questionably important or not yeah that's very interesting <clears throat> so um i have this um thing i was very it was very profound for me uh watching i'm not sure if you've you've heard this example before but it's about trying to visualize a four-dimensional object mm-hmm. because that's, that's really hard theory 
Yeah, but four-dimensional objects, it's very, very hard for the human mind to effectively visualize a four-dimensional object because we're bound through, we're bound to three spatial dimensions. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, some people consider uh, us to live in four dimensions because time is another dimension, but that's not relevant to an object. An object that's stationary, that's four-dimensional, is impossible for us to understand because yeah. and, and the point I'm trying to make is that um, I've really been looking into this over the past I think over the past 14 months mm -hmm. just trying to wrap my mind around it and the best um, example I received or the best piece of I guess the, the best tip um, I, I heard to this date is <clears throat> so imagine mm -hmm. that you have a cube Yes. So a three-dimensional cube. Mm -hmm. And then you put it in front of a wall. And then you bring a source of light. So a flashlight, for example, or a lamp. And you position it exactly in front of the cube. Mm -hmm. And then what do you get on the wall behind the cube? Exactly close to the cube. So you have a cube yes. in front of the wall. You get a shadow. If What's the shadow? What shape is the shadow? But it's a square. It's a square. And this is where it gets interesting. So you take a three-dimensional object, you toss a light on it so it casts a shadow on a two-dimensional surface behind it, and the three-dimensional cube turns into a two-dimensional square. And that's how people Physicists say that you should... Would, um would say that, of course, that you get a two-dimensional because it's a shadow. But it's if it was a reproduction of the cube, but in two dimensional, that would be something different. A shadow is not a reproduction of the object. No, which makes it's a it representation. It's, it's a, a representation, representation and but that's it's not exactly a replication no, no, of no, the object. And no, no, because that's impossible. Because you can't yeah. replicate a three dimensional object on a two dimensional surface. And that's exactly the point I'm making, because if you take the uh, example of tossing a shadow onto a cube uh, and displaying it on a two-dimensional wall, so a plane, mm -hmm. then you have a square. Yeah. So now imagine a four-dimensional object, and you place a light on the four-dimensional object, and you try to display it in a three-dimensional environment, and you get a cube. So a cube is the shadow of a four-dimensional tetrahedron, tetrahedron. Sorry, it's not a tetrahedron, it's, uh, it's called, uh, what's it called again? It's the tesseract, tesseract, that's a four-dimensional cube. So you take a tesseract, four-dimensional cube, toss a light on it, and you have the shadow in a three-dimensional environment, and that's a cube. It's the shadow of a 4D cube. Well, then we have four dimensions. <laughs> If we move with time, we have yeah. So basically, I believe in the quantum theory, and I think that which quant if, which uh, one? quantum theory multi world uh, yeah multiple words uh, yeah. Words? So okay. the theory of four dimensions. So you're not with I, the Copenhagen theory. Which states? So you're with the multiple worlds. Yeah. Multiple worlds is that everything that can happen happens, and your conscious self is just following one thread of of choices or or outcomes. Well, that questionable. So you know, every time, I got, yeah, I so, got so, the same question yesterday. Really? And I gave, yes, it was yesterday. And I gave an answer that was like very simple. But I think it's very good. Um, so probably anyone who hears this, I'm asking them to kind of reflect on where they are. So they're probably like are somewhere in, in a space. Um, like we are now. Like we're now. So basically over here we have so many chairs. Um, and each and every one of these chairs can be a future Lars, a future Dea. In the sense, the chair on my right could be a Dea that is going to be an actress. Another chair over there is going to be a Dea that is going to be studying philosophy. Another one... Um, I don't know, a policeman, policewoman. So I have the options in the life to be different selves. Mm -hmm. But the difference is the steps that I take. 
maybe the closest thing that I could do is being an actress, which is right by me. But simply life didn't take me. So like situations like didn't make me turn on my right, see the chair and touch it. Or I could touch it and then jump to another chair. So I think it's not necessarily predestined or we don't have a definite finish line. But no. it's more mm-hmm. of like we have different versions of ourselves that we could reach. Mm-hmm. Like you right now could could start on doing sports and never wear a suit in your life. That's a possibility. I could do that tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it all depends on the daily actions that we take, the way how we talk to people, like if we open a phone call or not, if we wear like a type, like particular clothes or not. Like if you go to a restaurant and just talk with a businessman, just because he sees you with a suit, you're gonna keep on the conversation. But if you're dressed artistically, you're gonna develop a conversation with someone whom we have more probability to be like a designer or something else. So I think that it's all about the energy that we release. Mm. And then we get closer to these chairs, or maybe we stay on the same chair, but the, the chair comes to us, you know? Um, I think there's also, I think this interjects with the many worlds theory. Yeah. Because the many worlds theory doesn't state what choices you make. However, it does say that whenever we are faced with choice, and I actually believe that choice is a continuous line, so it must be infinite in some Mm -hmm. sense. Even though you live for a finite amount of time, you're not the reason for the many worlds theory. However, it goes on with time, and it's a continuous uh, effort because at any given moment, we could make a new decision if we wanted to. I mean, and if we're going to speak in hyperbolic terms, mm-hmm. at any time I could just flip out and become crazy and just run around screaming. I mean, <clears throat> yes. I'm making a hyperbolic argument, but however, a, yeah. as choice is something we're faced with continuously. So it's not like from, it's not like, okay, I will walk to the fridge and then I'll choose between getting ketchup and mustard. No, 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 no. It's a continuous thing because at any moment you could abort and do something else while you're still there or while you're walking towards something. Even anyway, ketchup it's and not... mustard is a decision. Exactly. That, that's, yeah. exa- that's what I was saying. So it's not about – it's not like a video game. Okay, now I choose this and I walk to another destination and then I make another choice. No, no, no. You have continuous choice mm. between the two destinations as well. Yeah, If absolutely. you become really philosophical about it. Anyway, um, it's not a very vital to the argument. However – the way that what you mentioned before interjects with the many worlds theory is that, um, yes, we can become anything. And that's part of the many worlds theory is that every time you're faced with choice, the universe duplicates. In the sense that any decision that you could have made at any given time happens. But you're only conscious for one of those outcomes and really you can't think too much about it because it will ruin your yeah <clears throat> i think um nietzsche does does speak about this um and it's basically the idea of all the philosophers that belong to like the 60s 70s and a little bit of 80s have discussed this idea of like should we keep on question questioning everything um and I just feel like sometimes it's it's good to have these thoughts because you're more conscious about the decision that you're making. It's just like you deciding to buy a beer or a lemonade, you know? It's a simple decision. And I think, of course, that we do unconscious decisions all the time. But at the end of the day, its impact could be way greater than we think. Butterfly effect. Possibly. Absolutely, absolutely, it's chaos theory, chaos yeah. theory all over. Uh, and this is another question. Then is, if we're faced with all these choices, mm. what drives our choice or decision making? And that, I think that's a whole another realm of exploration because you're saying and you're giving this very uh, very accurate example. So you go somewhere and you're deciding. Do I buy a beer or do I buy lemonade? 
And that's a decision which is usually, I mean, unless you have like work tomorrow and it's five in the morning, usually it's an impulse decision. You already know when approaching. And then they ask you, yeah, what do you want? And you're like, eh, okay, I'll have this. Yeah, impulses drive. Impulses But like... where does our impulses come from? So where do they derive? Well, is it once... based on experience? Is it based on genetics? Is it, is it our environments? What is it? Our habits? It's a deep question on the sense I could just cut down shortly and like be like, um, it's the soul. The soul. The soul. I could say that. Yeah. But then... That's a very short answer to a very (laughs) big question. (laughs) (laughs) But then every, every moment that you think about it, you're like, if you believe, especially in science, you're like, oh, it's genetic partially partially genetics because then you put yourself into the environment and going back to the first point that we made uh, which was if you are in a building in ukraine um, the environment affects you the way how you make the decision of the business you know i think that it's all psychology related but at the end of the day what makes me choose a pizza rather than a hamburger that's comfort not necessarily. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it could be impulses. But like these mm-hmm. are daily scenarios when we take the time to make the decision and we do the decision accordingly mm-hmm. to our preferences. Mm-hmm. But if I put you in a life or death situation or I'm like, you're not going to be able to do this unless... You're not going to be able to pursue a career and that unless you like make the decision between these two choices when i put you in like a very fast situation when you have to like do the decision immediately that's where the impulses come yeah and it's hard to test them there have been different ways of how people were put under psychological tests for like weeks and months Mm. and there are other people who have tested classical conditioning and i just feel like it's a story that keeps on going way too long and you never mm-hmm. reach an answer to it's, it. Um, unless you say soul. Unless you say soul or unless you say God is in charge of your faith, which I believe sometimes. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you can question God. That's the only difference between you, saying God and soul. You can, you can question soul too, but, but God not gave evidence-wise. Well, that is something that a religious person would say sure i think um arguing from the scientific standpoint i think when we're talking about decision making and and impulses and whatnot i think it's interesting because genetics and not even genetic genetics but Mm. dna the purpose of dna is to encode behaviors to correct and improve from past experience that's a very interesting thing because that makes you think, okay, so I should be making good decisions all the time because obviously my ancestors and how long is our common ancestry? I mean, you're the result of about, well, you're the result of, I mean, you as an individual sitting here in this chair right now, you're the result of three billion years of life. And your ancestors, they were, they were monkeys in Africa or wherever. Uh, and then they came to Europe and then you survived the Black Plague. You survived the Crusades. You survived the Balkan Wars. You survived World War II, World War One. All your ancestors survived all these things. There were survivors. They were the survivors all throughout history up to this point. And now you're the front runner for this Three billion year long history. I'm leading the world. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> <laughs> effectively you are the leader or the the <clears throat> the uh, infantry for your line yeah. of ancestry right now, and one would think that after three billion years, if it was all driven by DNA and genetics, you'd be making mm, I would say the best decisions in the world every time. However. There is another part to the uh, to I'd the make equation. A question, though. What? I want to make a question though. Yes. But what if I have the same DNA? Well, not the same DNA, but 
the main principles as my ancestors, but the environment just made me camouflage them. So today I look less um, less crazy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You get what I mean. And that's the other side of the argument is that the equation is not simply past equals future. Mm. That that's an, an that's an inequality. So vague, so dry. Yeah. So you need the past experiences, which is encoded in your DNA, and that gives you some of the tools you need to mm. pave the way forward. But there's something missing. So it's the environmental factor, what's around you. So it's the nature versus nurture question, age-long question in psychology. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So, so the age-long question in psychology, which is nature versus nurture, can you, based only on ancestry, determine the outcome of a person's life? Or is there an environmental factor desi- deciding... Uh, or even not, not even deciding, but impacting how we navigate our environments. I mean, um, if I make a comment on this, it would be wrong. Why? Because there are so many people that have been spending so much time all over these years to put actual facts and evidence to prove if this is right or wrong. If it's nature or nurture. Um, I haven't done much readings about this. And I feel like if I give a stand on this, it's going to be impulses. And those impulses are just going to be because I was more dominated in an environment that believed that nurture affects a human being. Or I could be the vice versa, you know. So I would be biased if I give you over here. An answer just because I haven't done much readings and evidence but but what's your opinion I could yes I could give my opinion which is very complicated you know let's hear it um I want to believe that it's nurture I wake up every single morning and I tell myself that I need to work I need to do things that I'm passionate about because everything that I do is going to affect me as a human being. My mind, my soul, my spirit, you know. But I end up at the end of the day when maybe I'm on my worst self, I end up doing things that are incredibly so similar to few members of my family that I haven't stayed more than maybe six months with them in my entire life. And I do more gestures like them rather than my parents. Or like I do few things that my dad does or did when he was, let's say, 23 while dating my mom. He stopped doing that. And my mom is just like looking at me and saying, oh my God, that's the same thing that your dad used to do when he was 23. Is it coincidence? I don't know. That's interesting because... Um, you know? <clears throat> okay, so, so this is... So now we have one piece of anecdotal evidence that mm. nature is true and nurture is true as well. And I'm going to bring another piece of evidence to the table. So I don't know my dad. Bring it on. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know my dad very well. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen him in this probably six years. <clears throat> anyway, and my mom has been the biggest influence on my life. However, uh, not even my mom, my friends, my everything, my experiences. Yeah. Nonetheless... I am making the exact, and it's accurate to probably about plus or minus three weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm living my dad's life. I'm doing exactly the same thing. In terms of mistakes. (laughs) In terms of mistakes. So it's just very curious because I'm conscious about it and I'm trying to not do it, but it just happens. Because you don't know what is going to 
happen in the future. No, and you but I know, know exactly. I know exactly the mistakes is made because all my uncles told me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm making the same mistakes. Exactly the same mistakes. I'm doing exactly the worst things that he's doing. Uh, he did, uh, and that's thirty-five years ago. He did those things. So where does that come from? Because I'm trying to not do it, but my body won't let me. Or not even my body, my DNA won't let me. It, I don't know. <laughs> it's going, it, it's like whispering me in, on, from the shoulder. Lars, you have to fuck up here now because you're doing too good. So fuck this up because that's yeah. your DNA. Your DNA tells you to fuck up here. And that's very weird. Uh, but at the same time... I have time, the opposite though. I mean, no yeah. one. I mean, I'm not hearing voices that no, no, are telling no. me, but it's just happening, and I don't want it to happen, but it's just happening, yeah. and I just I realize it after it, mm. after it already happened. So I mean, I said happened 17 times in three seconds, but um, <clears throat> nonetheless, it's very interesting <laughs> because then again, it shows that there definitely there must be some part of us which is based. On nature and nature in the sense that your DNA or your genetics drive you based on the past or the, the, the what happened in your ancestry or line of heritage but then there definitely is some part which is nurtured so things that shape your reality and things you can change or mold yourself because obviously I'm not living exactly the life of my father, and you're not living the life of your Absolutely. of your ancestors. We're doing so much more, mm-hmm. in each our own way, and that's amazing, and that just shows that the nature part always improves. It's in a continuous, it's a linear function of improvement. I like the expression, linear function of improvement. But when you're saying that you have someone whispering you to like you need. Like kind of screw this up because you're doing way too good. Um, there's I not had... a there's there's not a literal voice. Just know, for you guys listening, just for you guys listening here, there's not a, a voice in my head telling me to fuck up. It's no, my DNA forcing yeah. my body to. Yeah, mess but up. I'm saying like putting on myself. We had a discussion today on um, purchasing, buying a car that you want to buy for 20,000 euros because the man is craving for the money, but its actual value is 2 million. And we were having a discussion whether it is fair or not or what you should do. And then at a point I said that when you're making business, you might be unethical and it's fine. So in this point, what you do is that you buy the car for 20,000 euros, uh, even though its value is like 2 million, what you buy? Peep, the person who's selling is unknowledgeable. So you take advantage of the system. And then I had something like in my own self that was like, Taya, you know, I was raised. Such a hustler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was raised with the principle. So here's where my, my nature comes on. Um, on really believing and the fact that if you do good, you get good. If you help someone who's craving and is like in a bad condition, you're going to get it somehow, maybe even better at the end of the day. But then I had my nature because I'm studying business and I have understood every day that life is tough and uh, you need to take advantage of every possibility that you have in order to maximize your opportunity, you know, and the outcome that you have. So... There are different clashes. Um, and I think that that's like what you face and I face. And no matter that it's a linear function of improvement, we still have some basic points mm. that are like the fundamentals, values of us. Mm. And we go back and we touch them. And we're like, okay, so this is where I came from. Should I completely detach myself from this? So on an unliteral and unmetaphorical sense, should I detach myself from my DNA? You know? Mm. You have it, it <clears throat> you grow with it, mm. but you don't allow it to affect your daily decisions. I haven't managed to do it yet. I think it's, it could be a weakness. I think it's very, very hard. I think it's very, very hard because most of it is, and we like to think, I think we like to think that we're always conscious. 
We're not. We're always at the steering wheel and we're awake. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. We are driving a Tesla and it's on self, it's on autopilot. The <laughs> Tesla is on autopilot going down the highway. Yeah. And then sometimes we'll look up from our iPhone and be like, hey, where, where are you driving? Stop that. Go somewhere else. So I think it's hard to detach yourself from the nature part of your of your behavior. However, I think that yes, absolutely we can make the nurture part. I mean we can nurture the nurture part <laughs> in yeah. essence uh, and improve that to unbelievable extent. I mean just look at people around the world. I mean people that have come from literal hell <laughs> and became epitomes of everything we want no matter what you want there is someone out there who came from i don't even know where they came from they came from i don't know they lived with 50 spikes of stone through their chest and they had no arms and legs and then now they're a god not literally of course yeah but there are things out there all the time, and it's, I think it's all about mastering your mind because your mind is capable of so many things that you have no idea mm. how to even understand. Yeah. And I think the way we understand our minds and the way we unlock certain parts of it, and I'm pretty sure that David Goggins said mm. this not too long ago, that the ways we unlock parts of our mind is by destroying ourselves. Yeah. It's by doing, it's by going through unbelievable adversity. That's how we unlock parts of our mentality. Being destructive. Um, Not even being destructive, being destroyed. Destroying ourselves is how we unlock parts of the brain and become exponentially improved moving forward. Well, yeah, absolutely. I feel like in the moment when we have making, not mistake because it's such a cliche comment, but when we have managed to destroy something that we have, we, we kind of learn the value of it. We kind of acknowledged the power that it has. Um, but I really believe in the theory that we unlock parts of the brain. Mm. Uh, it's something that we are in continuous improvement mm. and um it's all upon like being challenged and like someone challenging you that much that you feel that are you're destroyed mm. even if you're not mm. but just like the feeling that someone was so good at something that you couldn't catch and just like being in a continuous competition with yourself and the rest absolutely and i think that's <clears throat> I think that's effectively that's an encapsulation of, of just uh, the current Western world and our societies and everything is built around this, this, this thought that we're always in charge, mm -hmm. even though we, we might not be conscious, but we're all individuals and the purpose of an individual is to improve. And when the individual is it? improves, and becomes the best version of themselves itself, then that in turn helps everyone else. Because I think it's an innate, uh, on a general basis, on a general mm -hmm. basis, I think it's within everyone. I think everyone's born good. If we're speaking in general terms, <laughs> generally people are born good. And I think if you, as an individual, part of the general assembly I just told you about, make it to the point where you're fulfilled and where you're the, you can't be perfect, but when you're the best version of you right now, then you'll extend and spread your, energy is such a bad word. I don't have the vocabulary to explain this. It's too deep. Um, anyway, you, you'll spread around you with, with, with what pulls everyone up, what makes everyone become better as well. And I think that's the that's such a unique thing to to where we are right now, where we're we're focusing on individuals making their lives the best, and the result is that everybody else's lives become better too. We're hungry. Um, we're starving. We're always starving. Well, you are starving. There are people who are just in peace. There are people in Norway. 
that are just in peace and they might not be starving as you are. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> I hope that's nobody heard opinion. that. I can't say that loud. <laughs> that's... Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so that's again, that's again, I think it's a measurement of success can be anything. <clears throat> and this is, this relates oh, to, yes. and this is about, this is as much about life as it is about business. So success is very subjective. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I've succeeded. I'm on the first step of the ladder. Someone else might consider that the triumph of their life. While someone else, again, not me, might see it as, oh, I'm halfway there. Yeah. And then again, some other people might look at it and be like, what? You haven't even started. You're a failure. So it's very subjective. I think success is such an ambiguous term to use to measure the result of effort over time. Because this is, and now we're moving all the way back to the, 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 the topic we had about the four-dimensional things mm-hmm. being uh, projected onto two-dimensional, uh, sorry, three-dimensional surfaces uh, and becoming that, uh, uh, a rep- then there's a representation of a four-dimensional object in a three-dimensional space as a cube or a sphere or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel and like, I, yeah. And that I, th- I think that is, um, I think that's what we're trying to do with these, trying to label effect or not even effect, but effort over time. That's a four-dimensional thing, yeah. right? Because you're working in three dimensions and then you're adding, you're adding time, so you're making it a four-dimensional thing and you're trying to label it with a two-dimensional So are word. we calling success as work over time effort well, over time effort over time well so it doesn't have to do with work it can be anything yeah but normally we also try to i mean effort it, you can apply that to any contexts yeah but doing something well, consistently over time i mean it's impossible to become worse Ten thousand rule um our rule but i feel like you know firstly i need to say that to me, success is not a point in life. It's not a point of achievement or something. So, like, the moment when you succeed, like, let's say you get a degree in this college, it's going to be an event. At the end of the day, you're going to list all the events and name it success or not. It's not up for a single moment in life to cause something a success or not. Exactly. That's why, like, you call it events and I like the theory of talk like labeling it as effort over time if there is anyone who really loves physics listening to this they're probably going to have a lot of arguments that are going to give so many points about the fourth dimension theory that it needs to be it needs to be an object and the energy within the object if this was a simulation, we'd be like, okay, so everything that we've experienced so far, it's a fourth dimension example in real life. Because we're within an object, we're putting effort, we're three-dimensional, where we're having time. But we're not in a simulation. And that's what destroys all this, you know? We're in a world and we feel like we have different galaxies, we have a universe, and it's gonna keep on growing up until a point that the galaxy is just gonna blow up. But it's not us, supposedly. Unless, like, some bombs are dropped or something like that, you know? <laughs> but. That's my dream. I'm gonna speaking, blow up the galaxy. That's my point of success. <clears throat> that was a joke. I wish really you luck. Someone is going to record you and search you at the court and being like, this is a threat to your mind. <clears throat> this um, is why the galaxy is failing. This guy said he was going to blow it up and now it's blowing up. So yeah. he did it. He went to the middle of the galaxy. He put a bomb there and now he's back. I just want to say that the most dangerous and the most beautiful thing in the world is a human's mind. Hmm. Period. Um, I don't think that anyone who comes near me and tries to say that no... That statement is not true. I'm going to be ready to keep on talking for hours and prove them 
right. To prove them wrong and prove myself right. On the sense that if you want right now to blow the galaxy, you're going to be working for it. You might not be able to do it within an hour. Or you could also make it happen. You know. But it's all upon your mind. Don't worry. I won't blow up the galaxy. But. Okay. <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, I agree. Unequivocally agree. The human mind is the most amazing thing in the universe. It is. That's it. There's nothing else to say. In our galaxy. No, no. Well. In the universe. You never know what's there. Exactly. Mm. But this is all we know right now. Yes. So we are, our brains are <laughs> the epitome of everything. Within your perspective. From your perspective. We're from any perspective. If you ask a caterpillar what's the most amazing <laughs> thing in the world, and he knew what we know about the brain, he'd say... Yeah, you know, my, uh, my thousand legs, they're great. Uh, they're just sticks walking into ground. But I'm going to say the human mind is great because they built like 50,000 cities made of stone. Okay. And inside they have, I don't even know what they have inside. I've never been there, but I'm trying to walk into it all the time. I keep falling down into these like well, I'm cubes gonna point, full of rats. I'm going to point a podcast with you and an alien in like some years. <laughs> And yeah. then you do the same discussion. <clears throat> then we'll see if then, the alien's yeah. mind is more amazing. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it will be, because then we can learn something incredible that we don't even know how to comprehend. Or we can teach them. Yes. Exactly. And conquer something. So, so think about this thing, because you were speaking about the soul, and this is going to be the ending thing, because we're really out of time. Yeah. Um, so the human mind. Mm-hmm. And then you have the soul. You were talking about the soul before. Yeah. So think about this thing. Mm-hmm. And we're returning to the four-dimensional things being projected into three-dimensional space. Okay. So I hope you all remember the example with the, the, the yes. four-dimensional cube. You put a light on it, shine it onto a 3D surface, and then you get a cube. Yeah. And in the same way that if you take a cube, place it in front of a two-dimensional wall, a plane, toss a light, and you get a square on yeah. the wall. We all agree. So think about this thing. And I think you have to be really high to follow me right now. But yeah. just listen. So imagine if your body, mm-hmm. your body is just a three-dimensional three shadow of your four-dimensional being. And um, that's your soul. I wish I was high. But I can really think about it even like that. So your body in this world is just a tripping, shadow. I'm tripping just talking about this. So it's just yeah. a, a shadow, shadow of, of your, your four-dimensional soul. soul. Damn. We'll see you next time.